I've said before, you're not going to learn anything new, I don't think, in this series, unless you, you haven't uh, met the Lord. I hope, you, I hope you do learn something new. But for those of us who are in Christ, this is um, this time, these three Sundays leading into next Sunday, so these four Sundays that we've set aside are really to awaken ourselves, our spirits, to things that we know. So it's, that, it's the distance from here to here that we're trying to cross. Um, for God's sake in his kingdom. My wife uh, recently uh, bought and read this book on Gladys Alward. She's a missionary to China a long time ago. And uh, a petite woman uh, who did really big things. <clears throat> and I'd like to, I'm, I'm going to summarize, do a lot of summarizing, but I'd like to tell you a little bit about Gladys she she was in China and she fell sick. She had health issues, and so there was a period of time when she was uh, in bed rest. And one day uh, she was lying in bed and she heard in the other room the sound of what sounded like prayer. So she got out of bed and put her slippers on and peeked in the other room, and there was a group of Chinese students. Um, she had gone to a, it was a church conference sort of thing where where she had fell ill. And so there were these students from the conference and they were all huddled around a map on the floor of a region in China, a distant region in China. And one of them uh, would close his eyes and do this. And then they'd say, does anybody know anybody from this town? And they'd talk about it and then they would pray. They'd pray about that town. And then another be another student's turn, and that student would, uh, you know, pin the tail in the docky, so to speak. And and she said, "What are you doing?" And they said, "Well, we felt the Lord calling us to lift up this area of China, but we don't know anything about it." So they were just praying, praying, and praying. Well, she several weeks went by, and as she recovered, and about three weeks later, she heard uh, it was a similar experience happening, and so she went out and said, "Why don't one of you go?" And they said, we can't go. We, we, um, we're students. We're not free to go. We're, we're bound uh, in our studies, and we have no money. We have no food. We have nothing. Um, but we've been praying that someone would go, and, and Gladys, she really was a very big person. Uh, she knew, right? So she says in the book, she says, I knew the Lord was telling me. So she sets out to the frontier of China by herself, um, she walks along and if she sees people she tells them about the Lord and the kingdom and what God has done for them and she said people were very friendly and very receptive but the farther she got out eventually they started to say there's really nothing past this there's nothing else and she fine, I, I mean in truth she was journeying into Tibet and the she finally got to a place where they said, really, there's nothing, there's nothing beyond where you are right now. And she would think to herself, well, of course there's something beyond. There's people. Of course there's people. The earth doesn't end. There's people. And so eventually a young doctor, or uh, a, a gentleman in the village who was a young Christian, he wasn't young, but he was a young Christian, he agreed with her, I, I'll go with you. I'll journey with you past this point for five days. We'll go and we'll see what we can find. 
And so they did, and she would talk to him, kind of help him mature in his faith, and he would challenge her faith. And for five, five days they walked. It turned into eight days. And I believe on the 10th day, discouraged and distraught and kind of, you know, really holy people are very critical of themselves. That's what you find. You're like, man, the best people I know are the most, peop- most keen to their own sin. And she just talks about a time where she was so selfish, you know, out of food and so self-centered, as says the person, says the five-foot-four lady in Tibet. And, uh, but the young Christian man who was with her was at a place of faith. And so she's like, why are we here? What are we doing? And he said, we, we, God sent us here to meet a person. And so he leads her in prayer. Lord, you've called us here to find this person. Um, we've journeyed to where you've brought us. We believe you're here. So where is this person? We're ready to meet your person, Lord. And they say amen, and in the distance is a person. And so the doctor says, there's our person. And the, the man is walking towards them as the doctor is kind of setting out in his direction, and they soon realize that it is a uh, um, a lama, uh, a, pre, you know, a, a Tibetan monk, we might say, which for Gladys was alarming because for one thing, um, the lamas were not allowed to talk to women. But also, um, while they had the appearance of holiness, Gladys Alward knew other things about them that gave her cause for concern, that they weren't holy on the inside always. And so she was nervous. And uh, the lama finally walks up to them, and this is what he says. We have waited a long time for you to tell us about the God who loves. And so they go. Turns out there were two. One went to meet them. The other one went back to the lamasary, which is a funny word, and got it ready. And so they arrive, and there's this place, and everybody's seated, and they're ready for her to talk. Room full of the order and so she turns to the doctor, you know, what do I do? And he says, sing a song. So she sings a hymn in Chinese, in their tongue. And then he tells the story about how Jesus was born and how God loves them. And this goes back, and it lasts for some time, some several days. Over a week, she's there. People, they come to her. They were allowed to talk to her in twos. They were permitted, given permission. You may talk to her if you go with someone. So all through the evening, people would knock on her door. We have a few more questions this went on day after day after day. And finally, she got to speak to the leader of the order, the head of the order. And this is, this is what he says. And I'm, obviously, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He says, uh, several, many years ago, about eight years ago, two of our order were in town, and an evangelist was preaching about God and gave them a tract. And he pulls out of his pocket, or cloak. I want to say cloak. It sounds more mystical. He pulls out of his cloak. uh, The old tattered tract that they had received, the order had received eight years ago. And in it was John 3.16. And that verse caught this, this order of monks. Caught them. They said, we want to know about this God who loves us. We've never heard about this God who loves us. And the, the head of the order said every year they would, these, this particular one monk would go back to the town and they searched and searched and searched 
for the evangelist who had told them about the God who loves them. And they couldn't find him. And finally, um, the one monk said, I will not come back until I find more about this God. And so he went to the next several towns and finally he arrived at a town. He went to the, the cleanest looking gentleman in town and he said, where can I go to hear about the God who loves us? And he said, you go over there. And he pointed him to a church. And in the church, they, he met a, a Chinese missionary who gave them the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he brought them back to the order. And this is what the head of the order says. Eagerly, they hurried back to the lamasery and we read the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We believed all that it contained, though there was much we could not understand. But one verse seemed of special importance. Christ had said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. So obviously one day someone would come to tell us more about this wonderful God. All that we had to do was wait. And when God sent a messenger to be ready to receive him. And he goes... He says, for another three years we waited, and then essentially, and then we saw you. And they knew that she was of the Lord because he says this. They heard someone singing, and someone said, those are the messengers we are waiting for. They said, only people who know God will sing. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. That's what we're doing. Two weeks ago we said, we read Psalm 96, and we said, God has a heart for the nations. God loves all peoples. God wants to reach out and show his love to the world. And then last Sunday we said, and he uses us to do it. How can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear if it's not preached? And how can it be preached unless someone is sent? For it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bear good news. God loves the world. And God wants to bring his message of hope to the world. And God uses us. That was two weeks ago and that's last week. This week is, how are we supposed to be? How, how are we supposed to own that? I don't want to say, how do we do mission? It's not, this is not a message on methodology. This is, but how do we embrace this mandate to go? In our going, what is that supposed to look like? That's our, our challenge this morning. And I want to start in 2 Corinthians 5 and spend maybe half of the time remaining on just review, just reemphasizing what has been said, and then the, the, the remaining half on how we're supposed to be. This is the question, maybe. Um, there's two extremes when we talk missions, depending on what people think. One, ex- And I'm going to call these extremes, uh, but one extreme is... Um, just get the message out. In other words, investing all hope and missions in the message. So give them a tract, you know, a gospel tract, um, you know, just broad broadcast those like seeds, just scatter seeds. Okay, that would be one extreme. It's, it's message reliant. 
On the other extreme would be the often misquoted phrase, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. The, the heart of evangelism is in relationship and in manifesting the life of God in our, in our life. The words are not as important. It's life lived. That would be the other extreme, right? So over here, it's, it's word driven. Over here, it's word manifested. Now, I, I, every speaker wants to say the answer's in the middle, uh, so I'm gonna. Uh, but this morning maybe is a chance for us to, to appreciate, to gravitate in the word to this middle space of it is the word being carried in a faithful vessel that makes the, word, that makes the salvation of God known. And we'll see it here. But for review, I want to start in verse 17. I'm just starting at the gospel. It's not a study of 2 Corinthians, so I've got to pick a place to jump in. And I, I want to start with, what is the hope? And so in 17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is the hope that we have. That is the hope that's available for everyone in the world. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. That's the message. We might say at least that verse stands here for the broad message of what God has done. Obviously, there's more that could be said, but that represents well. Now listen to what he says in 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All of it's from God, he says. All the work of reconciliation, all this hope and new life, this entire dream of a new creation, all of this is God's work. You know, last week in Romans, Paul said it this way. You don't have to ascend to the heavens so as to like bring Christ down or descend into the abyss as to bring Christ up. No, the word of God is before you. It's in you. It's in your hearts and it's there. In other words, God has done the work to guarantee us to offer us salvation. All of it's from God, through Christ. That's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he sent his son, right? God's love through Christ. The work is done. But he says, and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is, is, is the think salvation. Reconciliation is to make right between two people, to clear the air, to restore relationship. And so he's saying, Christ, God has done the work of reconciliation through Christ, and we've been given the ministry, right? This is, God wants to reach the world with salvation, and our role is to bring it to them. That's what he's saying. It's been given to us. He says it a little stronger than the 19th verse. That is, it's like in other words, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That says it a little more strongly. In 18, we're being given the ministry of reconciliation. It feels for me almost like a gift, like God's done all the work of salvation, but he's allowing me, he's as a gift, and it is a gift. It is a total gift. The fact that he would invite us into something where he's done all the work. So to labor with the Lord when he's done the impossible is a gift. 
But in 19, it says it's more than a gift. He has entrusted it to us. We have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation, it says. So gift is nice. And trust is responsible. If a master is going to leave you know, in the parables, a master is going to go away, he's going to turn to his head servant and entrust the duties of the home to the head servant so that when he comes back, he can find that it's done. The ministry and message of reconciliation has been entrusted to us. And then you get into 20, and it says it again, okay, three times here, right? All this is from God, and who through Christ reconciled and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, and then God who's reconciling the world has entrusted us with the message of reconciliation, and here in 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God is appealing to the world through us. Which I think this verse is, uh, this idea is so big in the sense that how much more does God have to do? Is it not enough that he, is it not enough that he does the work of reconciliation? Is it not enough that he sent Christ and that Christ lived faithfully and faithfully hung on the cross and that God resurrected Christ from the dead? Is that not enough? But in addition to that, God continues to also appeal to people to come to that. I feel like in my mind that should blow my mind more than it does. Like, I know one day that will blow my mind more. Like, I'm not awake to the truth of it yet. But I know one day the alarm's going to go off, and I'm going to realize not only has God saved me, but he appeals. He wants me. And them. And us. So what does Paul do? Paul is faithful. He implores on behalf of God's appeal in 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I get the impression that Paul is, I don't know if he's re-preaching the gospel to the church in Corinth, wondering maybe it didn't take. Like whether he's just going back to square one and saying, let me reshare the gospel with you. I don't know whether, because he's about to get his preach on. I mean, he, it's almost like a tent revival here in a second. So it sounds to like he's, he's, he's imploring the church in Corinth to, to get it, to receive God, to appreciate what God's done. And I don't know if it's to them or if it's to them and others, like whether he's preaching kind of over their head at a tent revival, you know, how you'd have those who are in, uh, kind of in Christ and those who brought friends, who, and whether, you're just, whether he's just broadcasting. I don't know what, but he does... Here, he lives out in this moment what he's been saying. So he says, we've been made ambassadors for Christ. And then he says, I implore you, therefore, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And I'll just read 21 to 2. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. See, this is his invitation. Heads bowed, eyes closed, right? 
Don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I mean, Paul is not, this would be like, I wouldn't even want to waste this message talking about mission if there was someone here today at this date and time to say, don't miss this opportunity. The grace of God is being shared to you right now that Jesus Christ, through his work, will make you a new creation, will save you from your sin, will reconcile you to the Lord. You won't be beneath kind of the ire and anger of God, but rather you'll be a friend of God, a co-heir with Christ is what the Bible says. All of that is available now. Don't miss it. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Now is the day of your salvation. That's what he's saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what ought to be said. Why? Because we are ambassadors for Christ, making God's appeal for people. So we implore them. So Paul's living out in the moment what he's, the implications of everything he's been saying. God's reconciled the world to himself, and he's given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, come to Jesus. And now, in verse 3, we get to how. how. So how? If God has a heart for the world, and if God's called us to be, if he has entrusted us with the message of salvation, the message of reconciliation, then how are we to be? Listen to 3 and 4, okay? This is the principle. Paul's saying, so Paul has exhorted them to come to Jesus and then he follows it up with this idea. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our min- with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Two things are happening. He says, first of all, here's the message. Okay, right? remember these extremes? Here's the message. Paul is faithful in giving the message. Okay, And then he says, with the message comes the reality that he's saying that there's no personal reason. I've put no obstacle. Timothy and I and whoever was writing the letter with him, we've put no obstacle in the way of this message by the manner in which we've lived our lives. You cannot hear this message, raise your eyebrows, look at us and say, well, that doesn't check. We are not contradictory to the message of reconciliation that we're bringing. That's the first thing he says. He says, furthermore, in every way, we seek not only to not contradict the message, but to commend the message. So it's not that we're exhibit A and B that goes against the truth of God, but rather we seek to be exhibit A and B that supports the message of Christ. And then he goes to give a huge long list. A daunting list. If, uh, if you're a list person, if you're a note taker, like caution warning that you're gonna, you run the risk of kind of ruining what God has for you here by going, I, I need to be this and I need to be this. Like where can I go to get beaten and imprisoned? Um, Paul is gonna give us a list. He's making an account in this book to this church, he has to account for things because they've got a lot of troubles. So he's showing them, hey, this is what we've experienced on your behalf, okay? But he's getting accounting. He's given an accounting 
of the ways that he has not only not placed obstacles in front of them, but that he has commended them. And our, our danger, so I'm going to read the list, and I'm going to read it pretty quickly, because I don't want you to, oh, I need to be that. Or grade yourself. I don't want you to take the grace of God and make it a law. I don't want you to take something that should make, raise us up and burden you down. God is not a God of guilt. He's a God who awakens our conscience. So when you hear this list, awaken. Awaken to the fact that the message of God is carried in a vessel. This same book, Paul says, treasures in jars of clay. We carry this treasure in a jar of clay. That's what Paul's saying. It's more than the message, and it's more than the life. It is the life, a validating life, a non-obstacle-building, gospel-commending life that has the rigor and the courage to implore someone on God's behalf to be reconciled. This is what he says. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Okay, we'll stop there. It's kind of a first clause. In other words, we commend ourselves in every way, first, by the way we endure hardship. Think of that. Those are all examples of hardship. In other words, when bad things happen to us, it doesn't give off some anti-God expression, but rather the God that we've come to tell you about validates in hard times. The afflictions and difficulty do not invalidate our God, but rather our God equips us and comforts us so that we are people with joy and sorrow. That's what it is. This past weekend, my wife was at a funeral. First words of the funeral service is this, Christ is risen, alleluia. The last words of that service, Christ is risen, alleluia. We have that. We have a word of truth in times of affliction. That's, what it, that's the idea. We can commend the Lord during difficult times because we, we have a God and we have a story and we have a message that is compatible with affliction. It anticipates it. It sometimes wants it to expose in us things that are far more important than our hunger. Right? God wants to evoke from us hunger for him. So Paul says, look, in hard times, we've placed no obstacle in your way, but rather we try to commend, we've tried to com- commend ourselves to you on behalf of God in every way by the way we deal with our hardship. And then he says, okay, so if that's the first clause, hardship, then you get to verse six, and it's a new set of lists. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. These are all good things. These are all productive things. So in other words, in the first way, Paul would say, we commend ourselves to you by the way we've endured in hardship. In the second way, we commend ourselves to you by the way we've exhibited Christ's likeness through our lives that the fruits of the Spirit are in us and they come out. And 8 through 10, 
it almost expressed the net effect. The net effect of this is that we, as followers of Jesus, appear ironic to the world in all sorts of situations. We're more humble. I'm not saying this that we are in an absolute sense. I'm saying that in our hearts, we aspire that this would be true, that in times of praiseworthy times when we're on top, we're more humble than the world thinks we ought to be. And in low times, when everything is lost, we're more joyful than the world would ever expect to be. And in times of wealth, we're more generous. And in times of poverty, we're more rich. This is what he says. Just listen to the irony. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Through our steadfast faith we endure, and through the spirit which never fails we exhibit in a way that is ironic. And that makes the message in this jar of clay receivable. That's what he's saying. Now for us, if this was a poor how-to sermon, so how do you share the gospel? I'd say, well, endure afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, and hunger. And he said, well, anything else? And I'd say, sure, exhibit purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God. That's it. It would have been a 12-point sermon. Right? The truth is, it's not, this is not why we exhibit these things. We don't exhibit these things so that people come to Jesus. We exhibit these things because Jesus Christ is in us. We remain in Christ and then bear fruit. The goal, the goal is not to how do we share the gospel to others. The goal is how is God meaning, like how do I grow closer to God? How do I, if we need to awaken, we need to awaken to the love of God for us. We need to awaken to the fact that the spirit is in us and, and fall in love with God and then open our hearts to mankind. That's what we do. We don't pursue this, like I'm working on being kind because I want to save people for Jesus. No, no. I'm working on being kind because God's kind to me and I have a heart of kindness and I rejoice and celebrate the chance of show kindness to others. It's an act of worship for me. That's what we do. What I'm saying is, is the key to being the greatest missionary in your neighborhood is to be the greatest Christian in your neighborhood. It's to fall in love with God and open your heart to mankind. That's it. You don't have to figure out like, oh, I can never do mission because I have to be kind. <sighs> like, the kingdom is not for such as those. You don't have more to do. You have a God to love. You have a God to love and you have to open your heart. Look at 11. Look, we spoke freely to you. Corinthians, open. Our heart is wide open. Just Paul's laid out. He's laid out. You are not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts also. He says, I have all this love for God. I have all this love for God that in hard times I can endure and in good times I can exhibit in all times I can be all things to all people because of what God's done for me. And he takes that love for God and lays it out here. 
How are we to be on mission? We are to love the Lord. We are to love his grace for us. We are to remember what he's done for us. We are to celebrate it. We see it in our families and our friends, and then we celebrate it, and we see it in our communities, and we celebrate it, and we share it, and it's real. I believe that there is a lot of gospel joy in this fellowship that's, that's fettered maybe a little bit with reticence to speak. Take the joy, cross the bridge that has been built by your consistent life with people, and share it. You don't need to close the deal. Find the, just pray and be thoughtful to find the word, a word for them. Enjoy not closing the deal. Release yourself from closing the deal. Just tell yourself, you know what I do? I bring Christ to a place in that person's life that's missing the gospel in whatever way it is. You do that. Just release yourself. You don't have to walk them through all these passages in Romans you can't remember. Don't do that. The other day I was at the guard. Here's my buddy. He's been cohabitating. She doesn't want to have kids. He wants to have kids. Now they're it's challenged. Do they get married? Do they not get married? You know, she's on round two of life with another kid. It's the classic problem, right? Do, do, I, do you really think I ought to say, well, your righteousness is as filthy rags, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Would you like to pray? Like we were in line to get a urinalysis check for a drug test. It's just not the right place. You know, so I said, and I'm not good at this, but I said to him, well, do you, do you ever pray? And he said, well, I, yeah, you know, I'm Catholic. I saw his prayer. I said, would you ever just tell God what you think? You know, because he likes you. He said, God likes you. You should try that. I didn't close the deal. But he started asking questions. Just find a way. Find a way that in your life that you don't put obstacles and you come in, find a way just to nudge. Be an evangelistic nudger. Because we do have to get to the message that Jesus Christ reconciles the world to the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help, help, help us to know you better to love you better, to receive you. Lord, and I do pray, if there's someone here, they would not miss the grace of God. It wouldn't be in vain on their ears, Lord, that they would reach out to you, Lord, that they would say in their own broken language, Lord, if they could just be nudged now by your Holy Spirit to say, Lord, you have not been my God, but I want you to be my God. Fix me, save me, reconcile me. I pray they'd feel invited this morning to say that to you. And over and above that, Lord, to those of us who are in this journey of reconciliation, who have had inconsistent lives, and we look and we go, well, I got obstacles with that person because he knows how inconsistent or that person, Lord. I pray that in your timing, through our affections and love with you, you would begin to awaken our spirit, to change our manner of living, and grow in you, Lord, not adjust our behavior, but become new, Lord. And in doing so, share it with the world. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.